Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. United Auto Workers announcing some new strike locations. You have just added another 7,000 auto workers to the strikes, joining the 18,000 plus who are already on strike. Now we've got something going on. But the big three are very unhappy with the union. They think the union's dragging their feet. Remember, it was Ford that was the darling last week. Ooh, Ford, uh, they're coming to the table. Ooh, we might get something going with Ford. Ooh, we might have a deal with Ford. We'll leave Ford alone in this round. Well, that was last week. That was living in the past. And just like a Taylor Swift boyfriend, there will be a nasty song written. Now Ford is the enemy, but it's Delantis that gets a bit of, of a reprieve because of recent progress in negotiations. Stellantis, the head of the UAW, the United Auto Workers, Sean Fain, man, Stellantis was the the focus of his ire. These lowlifes, these punks, these jerks, I bet their mother this and I bet their sister that. And you don't even want to know about their Mima. I mean, it was just anger. Now, all of a sudden, it's Stellantis. Heck of a group of people. Oh, got a little disagreement, little disagreement, little something, little something. But it's going to get worked out. It's going to get worked out. That's this week. Lord only knows what's going to happen next week. Uh, it is Sean Fain who stated that moments before this broadcast, because he put out a video announcing the latest uh, closures, the Ford uh, Chicago uh, assembly uh, plant, they produced the Explorer and the Lincoln Aviator, And the Lansing, Michigan Delta Township plant, they create the Buick Enclave and the Chevy Traverse crossovers. Went after the SUVs, did he? Not the trucks. Didn't go after pickups. Went after the well-selling SUVs. He stated uh, moments before this broadcast, this is Sean Fain, president of the UAW. Stellantis made significant progress on the 2009 cost of living allowance, the right not to cross a picket line, as well as the right to strike over product commitments and plant closures and outsourcing moratoriums. He states, and I quote, we are excited about this momentum at Stellantis and hope it continues. Me, I'm Tony Katz. Tony Katz today, 833-468-8669, 833-GOT-TONY. That's the number, 833-GOT-TONY. Find everything over at TonyKatz.com. Good things are happening over there, and you should be a part of it. What comes next? I don't know. No one knows. All I know is... um, that the Dow is down 203. Maybe as we take a look at some numbers, the personal consumption expenditure price index increased 0.1% for the month. And it's up 3.9% overall. Maybe that consumer spending rose 0.4% down sharply from the 0.9% in July. And maybe this is more indicators that, yep, Not a good economy. Everything's going to fall apart. Maybe the announcement of two new plants going on strike and the number of United Auto Workers on strike going up to 24,000. I'm sorry, 25,000. The exact number is 25,200. 
25,200 employees, 70% of the United Auto Workers are on a strike. The strike's going to have an effect. You are going to feel it. Your neighbors are going to feel it if they work in any level of parts creation. Now that you're going to take uh, some of the big SUVs offline, if you will, not totally, but in, 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 a, in a few places, you're going to create those issues. The dealerships, they will sell out of vehicles and nothing to replace it. Not just your local dealership, think all across the, the country. And I have no idea when this comes to an end. Because I cannot tell you what it is that Sean Fain, the head of the United Auto Workers, actually wants. I can't, I cannot tell you whether or not there is a moment of, yep, we got it. We don't, I, I, if this thing extends out, will the membership of the rank and file put pressure on Sean Fain uh, to get a deal done? And therefore, what was the point of the strike? This, I don't know where the end is in this, but that's the latest. Let me bring you over to a story from the New York Post that I thought was human. And I think other people took as salacious. And I didn't think there was any need for that except to want it. And this was a story about Melania Trump. And they always make Melania Trump's story salacious. When is she going to leave Donald? What is she doing here? If you were to ask me, do I think that Melania Trump and Donald Trump have a weird relationship, I would say, yeah, I do. If you asked me if my parents had a weird relationship, I'd say, yeah, I do. If you ask my kids whether or not my wife and I have a weird relationship, they will answer, dude, what's with all the public displays of affection? Seriously, we live in this house too. And then they'd say, yeah, they do. Yeah. Every relationship is weird to everybody else. That's why we're not in a relationship with everybody else. We're in a relationship with this person. Because everybody else doesn't understand that our weird is actually awesome. Your weird is weird. It's freaky. I don't want any part of it. I'm not quite sure I want you sitting on my furniture. That's how weird I think you are. But my weird? My weird is freaking fantastic, man. My wife's weird? Seriously, Producer Jason, can I get an applause for my wife's weird? Absolutely. Yeah, you shouldn't applaud that, dude. You should know better. Have some control. My God, man. <laughs> I, I, everybody, this, this is how relationships work. Hey, let's be crazy together. And other people will think that we're weird, but we'll really know that they're weird. I don't judge the Trump relationship. I never judged the Clinton marriage. I never judged Bill and Hillary Clinton. Although the idea of being in a relationship with Hillary Clinton, ah! yes, yes, yeah. The idea of being in a relationship with Bill Clinton. A vicious mother, isn't he? Yeah, well, <laughs> I, I I would not I would not want to be around that at all. I can't I can't imagine that um, the the internals of that relationship 
is um, healthy. I hate Illinois Nazis. All right, that wasn't even necessary. But I don't know, man. I'm not there. I don't judge it. I don't judge Trump. I don't judge the president. I don't judge Melania. But this is the headline. Go with me on the story. Melania Trump quietly renegotiated prenup with Donald ahead of potential second presidential term and legal woes. The story, as it is, uh, as it is written, that the couple, they, they got married in 2005, and over the last year, Melania and her team have been negotiating a new post-nup agreement between herself and Donald Trump. This is like the third time that she's rene- renegotiated the terms of her marital agreement, and she is, being Melania, is, quote, most concerned about maintaining and increasing a substantial trust for their son, Barron. Barron Trump is now 17. Um, how is that not the most normal thing you have ever heard? Real life is happening. He has been indicted four times. He has just been told he can't have business licenses in New York, which is super, super weird. And we'll have to break that down in, 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 the, in the future. He may have money. He might not have much, as much money as he said he has had, but neither here nor there. He's got cash. He has some money. He's got more money than you, we're going to argue. And Melania is looking at this and saying, it is possible that if he is found guilty, what if the government goes after this? What if the government does that? What if this group sues here? What if that group sues there? How do I ensure that our son has the best life possible? And you say to me, oh, all that money. Oh, poor Baron Trump. Whoa, 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 and whoa. Just because you've given up your soul doesn't mean that the rest of us have. Melania Trump is a mom. Now, I ask you, what mom doesn't look at a situation and say, how do I do the best possible job by my kid? How do I provide the best possible opportunity for my child? What, you don't do that? Somehow she should be different? Somehow Melania Trump should be different from every other mom in America or around the globe. How do I make things better? How do I give them a better life? Oh, well, she's rich. It's not like it's going to be difficult. I didn't say she didn't have more money than you. I ask what mom doesn't do what they need to do, what mom doesn't at least attempt to ensure a better life and a secure life for their kid. And yes, they lead a different life than you. Why shouldn't she go about trying to secure it? It's elitist? Screw that. Elitist is Mick Jagger announcing he's got $500 million. He's not going to share it with his kids. Now, admittedly, his kids are 70. That's not the point. I don't understand the people who make money and don't share it with their kids. Oh, I'm going to leave it to charity. My kids don't need all this money. A charity needs it. This is my response. I have never understood that position. I find that position to be not only ridiculous, 
But I find it to be a, uh, I believe the expression would be a cell phone. My children, they need to work for a living. I, I'm not going to leave them this money. I'll give it to a charity and they'll do good work with it. Are you telling me that you are such a lousy parent that a stranger can do better with your money than your own kid? That's my response. Now, admittedly, that is my response here. I have not yet been able to vocalize it to anybody who has a fortune and isn't leaving it to their children. I haven't met those people. I look forward to it one day because I'm going to get one shot. I better do it right. A stranger can do a better job? Your children are a bunch, your children who you raised are a bunch of greedy bastards but the stranger is super altruistic and won't do anything fishy with the 500 million mick god what a scumbag thing to say same thing is true for bill gates same thing is true for for warren buffett etc crazy town there's nothing crazy about what melania trump is doing and there's nothing salacious about what Melania Trump is doing. Agreed, it's probably different numbers than you and I deal with. And I know it's different numbers than I deal with because I only make radio money. But it's normal. This is an absolutely normal thing to do. Don, we need to talk. What's up, Melania? These issues, these issues could present a problem. Yeah, I know. I know, you know it's nonsense. Never mind that it's nonsense. It can cause a problem. We have a son. That son is going to have needs. How do we want to handle this? Well, we should probably move some money around to make sure that uh, he's safe and, 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 and secure. I agree. And here's how I think it should work. Let's talk to some of our people and let's get this done and let's get it secured and, and change some things around. But that happens. We have this entire impeachment inquiry going on regarding President Biden. And these lunatic progressives screaming and yelling, talking about uh, Hunter Biden's not guilty. I'm sorry. Joe Biden's not guilty. Joe Biden isn't guilty of anything. There's only one thing Joe Biden is guilty of. Seven counts related to obstructing the investigation, three false statements, one count of conspiracy to defraud the United States, falsifying business records, conspiracy to defraud the United States, two counts related to efforts to obstruct the vote certification proceedings, one count of conspiracy to violate civil rights, 23 counts related to forgery or false document statements, eight counts related to soliciting, and I could go on because he's got 91 counts pending right now, but I will tell you what the president has been guilty of. He has unfortunately been guilty of loving his child unconditionally and that is the only evidence that they have brought forward and honestly i hope and pray that my parents love me half as much as he loves his child so the only thing that joe biden is guilty of is loving his son unconditionally so i guess it's okay to break the law and take bribes if you love your son unconditionally Melania Trump clearly loves her son unconditionally. 
and wants to make sure he's taken care of, what then is the problem if unconditional love is now the standard? I'm Tony Katz, and this is Tony Katz Today. Our news media is filled with pseudo-intellectuals. Or rather, maybe we should think of it as people who believe themselves to be so smart that they can transcend what the lower classes say. That's what we would call an elitist. Oh, they don't really understand. We, at this level, have a clear understanding of the world around us. They use simple terms like Chinese Communist Party. That's what they are. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It's great to be with you. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. Philip Bump, who is, um, he's the new Acosta. He's the new Jim Acosta. He is the snob du jour. Writes a piece in the Washington Post, the rise of Chinese Communist Party, quote unquote, as a pejorative. I'm sorry. How is that a pejorative? By the way, pejorative, disparaging or belittling, implying or, 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 or declaring something to be evil or unfavorable. That's, that's pejorative. His article goes about a discussion that the political right now refers to the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party, and, and they use it in place of things like woke. Bump writing that during the GOP presidential primary debate on Wednesday, DeSantis didn't use the word woke once. He also didn't say Fauci. But he did use another pejorative term, CCP. He wasn't alone in bringing this up during the debate. Vivek Ramaswamy, who was contesting DeSantis' primacy in amplifying themes from right-wing media, similarly similarly bashed China by the way of its leadership. The Communist Party of China is the real enemy. Criticizing China's communism, writes Bump, is by no means new in American politics, of course, but this phrasing, the CCP iteration of that criticism, seems to be in vogue at the moment. Yes, it is the Washington Post questioning why anybody would say such a thing. The detachment from reality. The utilization of calling it the Communist Chinese Party is to remind you that we aren't talking about the Chinese people who are abused by the Communist Chinese Party every day. We're never talking about the people who had to endure Mao's struggle sessions. We're talking about Mao and the people who made the dunce caps and said, put it on, Johnny. Although I don't know if anybody's name was Johnny. The idea that it is not an acceptable conversation or it's somehow low class To talk about the Communist Chinese Party, that's madness. That's crazy town. Leave it to the Washington Post. Leave it to the Washington Post to make this kind of statement. And believe it to be of value. You call a communist by their name. You expose what they are. Don't ever be afraid of that. I'm Tony Katz. The Colts are two and one. 
And if that makes you feel weird, the Lions are three and one. Nothing makes sense anymore. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. What's going down, everybody? 833 got Tony is the number. 833-468-8669. That's how we play our game. JMV joins us from 93.5-1075. The fan. He is the voice of sports in Indiana. Let's get into the Colts. The Colts take on the Rams. This will be a home game. They are two and one. And there's a lot of questions of where you put the reasons for this small level of success, which is success, including being able to pull it out uh, against the Baltimore Ravens last week, no matter how ugly that all was, being able to pull it out says something about a team. But first, let's take a look at Anthony Richardson and Ryan Kelly, who both both participated in practices this week. Where are they when it comes game time? Uh, unless there's some major setback, which I can't imagine between the time we're talking right now and, you know, ultimately game time, then they both should be good to go. Um, and that will be a relief, even though Gardner Minshew's played well, but a relief, Tony, from a standpoint that if Ryan Kelly's back out there, we know where the Rams are defensively at their best, and that is up the middle. And that was with Aaron Donald. So you really need – Wesley France did a great job last week as the starter, first-time starter at center, but you really need somebody that has the the type of been there, done that mentality of Ryan Kelly when you're going up against a guy, the magnitude of, of Aaron Donald. And you ask, you know, why the Colts find themselves with this modest amount of success through the first three weeks of the season. And we've talked about this before. They've closed games. And you go back to week number one, they had the opportunity at home against Jacksonville to close that game. They did both offensively and defensively. Offensively in the fourth quarter, they couldn't move the ball. Defensively in the fourth quarter, they gave up 14 points. Very reminiscent, Tony, to what we saw with this team a year ago. But in week two and week three, they've closed. And as wild as that game was in Baltimore, that was absolutely a close because they made plays to help them get that opportunity for Matt Gay to hit it from 53 and to win that game. A play from Quiddy Pay. Put he paid defensively, you know, that moved things back. So, you know, Justin Tucker ultimately didn't connect all the way on that 61 yarder. That would have, uh, again, been the winner had it gone through. So they have closed games in the past two weeks, unlike they did in week number one, and certainly unlike we saw, especially defensively, this team do a year ago. Now, They'll both be back. I I, I, I hear you. I, I hear what you're saying. Yeah. They'll both be back, and I'm happy for that. Except, you know, when it comes to Ryan Kelly, you make sense, put him in the game. I'm not so sure you put Anthony Richardson in the game. It's not that he doesn't give you a better chance to win. I would argue the mobility does. But the mobility got him the concussion because he isn't protecting himself, and I think I'm not out of school by saying that. Gardner is playing well. Maybe not super, but certainly playing well. Why not let that be the case? And if he then has an issue, bring in Anthony Richardson as your backup. Is there a conversation there, or does that somehow threaten continuity in a way I don't understand? Um, I, I think what it does, it, it threatens just the, the maturation and the growth of Anthony Richardson, which you don't want it. You know, a lot of people, Tony, you know, had mentioned, all right, this is going to be a season where the main thing is to see that growth and maturity from your rookie 21-year-old quarterback. But I've always said this. There's nothing wrong in a season like this, a reboot, a rebuild, whatever you want to call it, kind of like the Pacers a year ago, to where we see success. 
where you actually win, where I don't have to hear on a Monday, for example, that that was an entertaining loss. I get so sick and tired of hearing that with the Pacers and that mentality. There's nothing wrong with a rebuild and a reboot like 2012 when they won 11 games with Andrew Luck as the rookie quarterback. There's nothing wrong with winning some games also, but you also don't want to take away from what you're trying to do here. So Anthony Richardson has to learn, has to grow. He has to learn not to take some of those hits, has to learn how to get out of the way sometimes, has to learn how to deal with it, and so do the fans, and so do the people covering the team. You just got to know the fact that the playbook is absolutely rotten with running plays for a rookie 21-year-old quarterback that's not reckless like Andrew Luck was over the course of his early career, but by design, he's out and running and RPOing things up and sticking it in the belly and taking it out and running. Um, that's just what we're all going to have to get used to until you move further down the road, and he is better at throwing the football. Now, the other hand, when you mentioned Gardner Minshew, that's also the reason why they have Gardner Minshew, because if something happens, something unforeseen that's happened in the first two weeks during the game where he didn't finish, and the reason why he didn't play in week number three, Gardner Minshew is there. The same reason why people call my show and say, hey, you know what, you could probably trade into the Jets right now and get you know, maybe a fifth or a fourth rounder in return, which is absolutely ridiculous. His value is here. His value is doing what he was brought here to do, and that is back up the quarterback, no matter what the circumstances are. That has worked so far, but you always want to see Anthony Richardson is out there as much as possible, and that's what they'll do on Sunday. Yeah, the idea that Gardner Minshew only gets you a fourth or fifth rounder is also criminally insane. He's well, the he best. Won't, hey, Tony, it won't even get you that, brother. Seriously, I, they won't get you that. There's no way it's going to be a fifth rounder at best that anybody's going to offer because here's the thing. As I mentioned, his value is at its best right here. What value are you going to have in New York? They don't give a crap. I mean, they don't play the same way as Philly did last year offensively. That's why is so remarkable at working in this system because he has been in it he is perfect that's why they got him so let him serve the purpose here we we have fan base around here that's just not used to this anytime anything's any good you're going to think about how it's going to affect three years down the road we do that so much we kind of get lost in the shuffle like we're doing that full time with richardson and you have to but at some point you have to recognize what you have right now is good and you go with it. And Gardner Minshew was that. I'm not arguing that he isn't good. I'm arguing that he's worth way more than a fifth rounder. I'm no, arguing he's the best backup in I'll the NFL. You. I'm arguing he's clearly in the middle game of starters in the NFL right now. I don't think that goes without question. Yeah, I, you're not going to get anything above a fifth rounder, in my opinion. First of all, I don't even know if the Jets would have any interest. Look what they did. I mean, they're in dire straits right Trevor now. Trevor Simeon and, and or Gardner Minshew? Are we having this conversation? Well, I mean, you have, there are a, a myriad of dudes out there that they could have brought in probably that would be better than, than Trevor Simeon or even Zach Wilson at this point. I, I think part of it is, and, and listen, I don't know if there's a relationship, Tony, in the past between offensive coordinator Nathaniel Hackett in New York and Trevor Simeon or whatever. I think there, I think there might have been. Maybe there was in the past. Anyway. I just think that the relationship is what makes it when you're in these these dire kind of situations and consequences in the NFL. You need to come up with something, uh, and those past relationships are always a big deal. And considering the Minshew doesn't have that in the Jets' case, I just don't see where they would have any interest whatsoever. But 
talking to JMV. He is the voice of sports in Indiana. 93.5107.5. The fan, I was trying to look up. Uh, Gardner Minshew's contract is $1.75 million guaranteed. It's a $2 million contract. A minimum of $3.5 million even if he didn't play a snap. Uh, he's worth every dime right now uh, yeah. to the Colts. And to that end, JMV, bringing in Minshew, does that make Greg Ballard, I'm, I'm sorry, Chris Ballard look like a genius, or does that make Shane Steichen look like a genius It makes Chris Ballard look crazy lucky? Well, I, I've, I've made a lot of light of decisions made by Chris Ballard, so, I mean, you've got to give him credit for this, too. And obviously... He fits well because he's been with Shane Steichen, you know, a year ago in Philadelphia. That fits incredibly well. But Chris, you know, with a lot of the stuff we talk about and make fun of at times, the decisions he has made in the past, that's been a good one. And certainly Matt Gay's been a good one. I mean, uh, he made fun Gay. of that highest paid place kicker. And that, that came that came Tony uh to light on Sunday to where <laughs> that's exactly where they got him. You know, to make game winners, all that. But if a drive stalled to make sure that you can get some points out of that drive, and we saw that basically five times over the course of the game on Sunday, culminating with that overtime game winner. So that was a job well done with that. When Ballard brought in Matt Gay, people said, we don't have a quarterback, but we can yeah. sign a kicker to one of the biggest contracts ever. Right. Sure, makes sense. Uh, he, got val- he did get validated. You can't. You can't deny it. Now let's look at this game. You've got the Colts. You've got uh, the the Rams. Um, I, I, you know, if you had told me after game one, I'd say it's, it's a blowout for the Rams. I think the Rams still carry an, an edge, but the Colts showed some serious defensive willingness some defensive chops, some serious ability on Lamar Jackson. They should be able to have some level of equal ability against a less mobile quarterback in, in Matt Stafford. This game is pretty well matched up. Yeah, and you know what you have to do. I mean, the Rams aren't like the Rams team that, you know, we saw win the Super Bowl not too long ago. There's no Cooper Cup. They're relying on a bunch of guys you don't normally have to rely on. Uh, Matt Stafford's, what, 35 or so years old right now. You're just going to make sure that their dudes don't beat you and make sure Stafford doesn't beat you. Make sure Donald doesn't beat you. That's why I think Ryan Kelly's going to be so significant. But, no, this is an incredibly winnable game. I think it's going to be close. I do. I think it's going to be close, but it's one of those kind of grinders that I believe the Colts, if they're going to win games and surprise everybody, more so than what we thought. I think it's going to be one of those types of games this season in which they do that. So I have them winning by a field goal coming up on Sunday. It won't be anything picture perfect. It will be a great game. But I think it's going to get people excited around here. And then you get Tennessee coming to town, and we'll see if they limp in here or not coming off that game in Cincinnati. Not looking very good this past week, obviously, against Cleveland. But um, it sets things up nicely. You walk, month you, walk out, you walk out of that Tennessee game and you see a 4-1 and one Indianapolis Colts, yeah. you're out of your head. That is not how you thought the yeah. season was going to go with all the drama regarding Jonathan Taylor, which brings us to Monday. Sunday comes and Sunday goes, and you hope the Colts get the win, JMV. Monday comes and Jonathan Taylor's off the pup list, the physically unable to perform list, and now... 
you have to take a look at Zach Moss, who threw uh, these three games, 48 carries, 210 yards, one touchdown. He's moving the ball. You're the Colts. Jonathan Taylor's off the pup list. Is he is he uh, running back number one, or is there still a look for a trade? Well, I think he's only got one choice unless they trade him. They got, he's got one choice to come back and play. Now, he hasn't practiced since, what, December of a year ago? So it's not going to be anything instantaneous where he's going to be ready to go. So you're going to have to give that at least a couple of weeks, I think, before he's going to be actually ready to play. Um, I don't know if he's going to be well, ultimately the one again, but you do put him out there. You do feature him. You do help out Zach Moss. There's no way Zach Moss is going to be able to handle you know, a 30-carry a workload week after week after week. It has been glorious for the past two weeks, Tony. But, I mean, that's just not how he is going to be built. And you saw him last week kind of struggle late. You can tell he was injured a little bit. And he was playing through it. He has been awesome. But it's going to take a minute for Jonathan Taylor. If And, again, this is a perfect world here, I guess, if you call it a perfect world, that he's not traded and he comes back and he's going to have to play for the Colts um, just to maintain here, but it's going to take him a couple of weeks to get back. He just simply hadn't played. You could work out all you want to, but you're, you're not ready for that uh, after not even practicing, you know, for the better part of, you know, seven or so months since last December, whatever it's been. So he's going to take a little bit, probably a couple of weeks, maybe even three to get going back here, but I don't so see much of an alternative for him. You're saying he's, he's going, going to have to, to play out with the Colts. You can't yeah, ride or die with Moss, uh, Trey Sermon and uh, Jake Funk. Well, I mean, I, I think that they're, they're more than willing to do that right now as it stands. I just don't think they're going to have to. I think you're going to be able to add Jonathan Taylor to the equation because he simply has run out of options on this. I, I, and if there are other options, then it's so deeply rooted in, you know, NFL, PA, mumbo-jumbo, contractual, whatever, that I don't know what it is. But I, I don't see any way, unless they trade him, Tony, that he's going to be able to do anything but play for this football team. And I think ultimately that's what he's going to end up doing. Taylor Moss, Sermon, and Funk, uh, one, two, that. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. that's the best law firm I've ever been to. <laughs> well, I mean, they'll send Funk back to the, the practice. No, law, they not. will not. Maybe, you shut may, your mouth. <laughs> he may get waived, honestly. But, uh, yeah, that uh, it may that'd be something that's going to make you unhappy. I I don't know. I, I could probably look over this contractual stuff more than I have so far, but I, I don't get Tony how in the world he is going to do anything but play if he is not traded from the Colts someplace else, and they just don't seem like that they're going to be willing to do just that. They may not be, no, but I, I, I will admit that I disagree with you that Moss can't do carry the load. That You haven't shown yeah. me where that's the case, He's but that's another conversation. For another day, yeah. JMV yeah. 93.5, 107.5, the fan, the voice of sports in Indiana. I appreciate you as always. More is coming up. I'm Tony Katz. I haven't really done that much on the government shutdown because I think it's pretty obvious that we're going to have a government shutdown. I don't think I'm surprising anybody here. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. Be a part of what we're doing over there. I would greatly appreciate it if you would. The Senate is putting together its own plan or has put together its own plan uh, regarding a continuing resolution. That's going to go nowhere in the House. McCarthy's already said it's a non-starter. The Republicans 
don't really have as of yet, although anything could have happened in the last seconds, this continuing resolution, because they don't have everybody in, in agreement. They just don't. Uh, McCarthy doesn't seem to understand that the uh, the the Freedom Caucus, the the, the hard edged conservatives, which I call conservatives, uh, they're not they're not budging. They're not going to vote to authorize money for Ukraine. It is fascinating how Ukraine has become the litmus test. So I was, uh, this was a couple of days ago, I moderated a, a debate, really. just It was more of a Q&A with the Republicans running for Congress in the 3rd District of Indiana. This is where Congressman Jim Banks represents, and he's now running for Senate. So there's a, a seat, a, a position, nine people running. And they, there were two questions, and they all got a chance to answer it that were put forth by the people who organized it. My job was to keep the train on the tracks. And, and yet the conversation, in many ways, for a lot of them, went to, and we're not going to fund Ukraine, because they take a chance to answer, and they move the answer all around. Not education, not the border, not the idea of a balanced budget, not the idea of term limits. Ukraine got the biggest applause and the biggest reaction from the crowd of 100 plus. Ukraine has become the litmus test of whether or not you're the right kind of conservative or the right kind of Republican. Wow. So if you want to understand how, where, where the, some of this fracturing is and the power of, of whether it be Tucker Carlson or, or, or others within the, the, the party apparatchik, it's big. Don't deny reality when you see it. Not the not education, which was a, a focus of the of, of the conversation, but Ukraine getting the most applause. Very very eye opening stuff. I think there's going to be a government shutdown. Uh, gird your loins, as the kids say. This is Tony Katz today. <laughs>